Hey, Dame. What's up? You know, there are some people listening. That's crazy. Isn't that wild? <laughs> it is unthinkable. And I have a feeling that we might know about another podcast that they might like. Rebel Steps is a podcast for anyone who wants to take political action and doesn't know exactly where to get started or just wants to learn more from organizers on the ground. Each episode guides you through taking a specific action or getting involved in a new way, which we're always looking for. So season one offers insights into how individuals can join movements. Season two focuses on the way people can work together to build these movements. And some of their more recent episodes cover things such as tenant organizing, abolition, and street action. Rebel Steps is a great resource for everyone, those new to political work and those who are more experienced, but it's especially made for new folks in mind. So if there are people in your sphere who are trying to find their way into this world of social movement building, here's a great resource for them. Definitely give it a listen. It's Rebel Steps, R-E-B-E-L, Steps, wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, Dame. Yo. Do you happen to have any idea who this episode is brought to you by? Oh, I think I have a clue. I think I do. <laughs> this episode of Ergo is brought to you by Overcast, an independent podcast app that embraces the open world of podcasting instead of locking it down. No exclusives, no premium content, no paywalls, just a great podcast app for everyone. And if you know Ergo, we love independent and we love shit not being locked down. So <laughs> so go ahead and get Overcast for free on the App Store. Well, hello. Hey there. This is Ergo. It is. It is. I am Kiss. I am Damon. And what we do here is showcase the folks reshaping the culture of our city and world for the more equitable and creative. Damon, how are you doing today? I'm percolating, man. I'm, I'm moving. I'm moving. <laughs> we haven't gotten a percolation in a minute. <laughs> I'm moving through it. You know, it, it is what it is. <laughs> how you doing? <laughs> I'm okay. I wouldn't say I'm percolating, and I'm also going to question whether you are picturing what percolation is. <laughs> Every time that someone sings, it's time for the percolator. I'm wondering whether people are thinking about the percolation process, which is a coffee-making process in which water steams up and then comes down through the beans, like what a coffee pot does. Hmm. Um, I'm questioning whether that's what you feel like right now. No, it's not. No, it's not. This is some uh, some lovely white occasion here <laughs> we just percolation there's a whole nother process on my side of the world so i'm googling this now and you are correct and oh, thank you for that so knowledge funny. to have but no i'm doing something else this is an alternate meeting yeah that's fantastic <laughs> i think we know what time it is it's time for the percolator <laughs> <laughs> now that we got that out of the way, I'm so excited to get to our episode today. We are introducing our next suite. For those of you who don't know, since last spring, summer, we've been uh, recording suites around different topics. The first one was interviews with frontline workers in different ways called On the Line. Um, then we had our abolition suite last summer. Uh, then we talked to educators about education. And then lastly, a whole bunch of wonderful writers and editors about the process of writing. Today, we are kicking off our mentorship suite, exploring the joys, contradictions, tensions, and transformative possibilities of this thing that we sometimes cringingly call mentorship. We're really excited to 
be in this suite where we're going to have opportunity to platform some folks that, you know, have been really important, not just in our community, but in our own personal development and in some of the like foundational ideology of how we were able to make this show. Um, and also, you know, to be able to discuss this tradition in community that I think so often gets overlooked or gets commodified in this like really icky nonprofit type of space. Um, and so throughout these conversations, you're going to hear us obviously deconstruct because that's what we do. You know, if, if, <laughs> if nothing else, you're going to get a deconstruction over here. Uh, we'll, we'll pull something apart. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we're going to unpack, <laughs> as they say, um, <laughs> this very weighted notion of mentorship to to really get into the nuance of how we maintain legacies and lineages within our communal formations and some of the power dynamics that come in interpersonal relationships that really shape our lives. Yeah, you know, this is something that we've been thinking about doing for a while, um, and it was already going to be the next suite we did. And then, you know, as our listeners may or may not know, and, and we're not going to kind of go beat by beat through it, um, but over the last few weeks to a month, a lot of the folks who have been in some of the most high-profile mentorship positions within the city, there's been a lot of conversations about the ways that they've come up short addressing the harms that have happened to young people in the city. And so rather than going through the specifics of that, we're, we're going to try to use the example and the conversations around that to try to generate for the two of us as people who are thinking about what does it mean to step into that role? Um, what are the best practices? What are the things we can learn and how can we make sure that the structures that we build more fully and more humanistically care for the people that we're trying to help grow? So two quick goals I have going into this, and I, and I hope the audience take away, is one, KISS, kind of like our generation is in a transition point uh, that we joke about all the time of going from being like the young scrappy kids into fake adults, into more pretending adults. <laughs> uh, and so, you know, as, you know, we, we are in a little band that is creeping 30 or just creeping over 30, it's feeling like there is a, a need for us to understand the responsibilities that are coming upon us. But also, you know, these are some folks we really respect and appreciate their wisdom. Um, and so for folks who maybe don't resonate with the notion of having a mentorship or having direct guidance, uh, for us to be able to, to share some holistic human lessons and for us to have some space to learn together. So if you don't got a mentor, let these folks kind of proxy in for a couple of weeks. <laughs> All right. That's kind of our big, vague theory talk. We're really excited to get into this first episode in the suite. Each suite that we're doing has a co-curator, someone we've been in community with, who's helping us think through both who to talk to and what questions to ask. Our co-curator for this suite is the one and only Jacinda Bully. Jacinda has done a lifetime of work in the Uptown area and throughout the city at large as a co-founder of Kumba Links, a hip-hop-centered youth arts education space that has left such an important legacy and really wanted to talk to her uh, because even more than she's comfortable with, as you'll hear in the conversation, I've seen the way in which her and her family um, have stepped up for people in really important ways when they didn't have anyone else to turn to. Uh, and so I, I wanted to just pull from her wisdom. And she's somebody who I truly love and admire. Um, and her presence and community helped shape and gave an example for how I want to show up. So uh, it's really an honor to have, a, have her on the team with us, as always. Without further ado, let's get into it. Jacinda Bully kicking off our mentorship suite here on Ergo. Oh, yeah, let's do it. 
Today, we have a very, very, very special guest with us as we're about to dive into mentorship. Everybody, we have the phenomenal, all-time great, Jacinda Bully in the building. Bro, 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 bro. Oh, the, yeah. the enthusiasm and self-confidence it takes to do your own air horn is exactly <laughs> what I needed on this morning. So, yeah, so we, we are aware that, you know, we still small time, but we have a little bit more audience over the last you know year or so. So we, we always want to make sure that we don't assume uh, that, that our audience know the guests that we love so, so dearly. So just to give some context, Jacinda is one of the founders of the amazing, mighty, world-changing Kumba Links. Been holding it down up in the uptown part of Chicago, but really been a, a citywide impact of youth organizing, hip-hop organizing, family care, education, really a model uh, for how I think generations should interact if liberation is is our North Star. And so really, really happy to have you here. Uh, we'll get a little bit more into some of your context. Uh, but before we do, before we get into any of the big themes and the big ideas, we got to start how we do with our two-part question. In this time, and define time however you want, this day, hour, the season, this lifetime, in this time, Jacinda, how is the world treating you and how are you treating the world? Mm-hmm. That question always be so hard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, it's getting worse. Yeah. <laughs> well, first, let me say my uh, contribution to the intro is really just about y'all. I am always inspired when folks stay to it, get to it and stay to it. And so you started something beautiful and it's blossomed and you in it, you still cultivating it. You still, you know, working the, working the land. And so I, I see you and I appreciate the platform and I appreciate y'all committing your, your time and your energy and always making capacity for it. Mm. Well, I think we got everything we need. Thank you so much for coming on. <laughs> that's all we wanted was some affirmation. Yeah, that's yeah, that, that's the secret to the show. The, the affirmation suite. Yeah. <laughs> just have people come on and say nice things about us. No, thank you. Most that's people beautiful. just take the compliment and run with it. So they, no one else gets it but you. Thank you so much. <laughs> <laughs> no, nah, sincerely, it's, it's appreciated. Yeah. And, and from you as such a, a consistent and committed steward. Um, those words aren't taken lightly. I, I know what you what you mean when you say that. So so that means a lot. I say yeah, um, yeah. So you know, I guess I think about I woke up. To, I woke up like this, like breathing <laughs> and moving, you know, and being able to think and articulate and grapple with this earth side's struggle. So I guess the world is treating me the way that it was set up to, to challenge me and to um, and to hold me. And whatever that looks like. And so I guess I'm being treated well. Like I'm giving thanks. I'm trying to have gratitude for my fingers moving, for my eyes being able to, you know, perceive, for my for me to have taste, for me to have breath. So, you know, not everyone has, you know, has that. Not everyone is still earthside. So I'm being reminded of the ancestors and the folks that are invested in our best selves, checking you out on this Zoom. And so I'm giving thanks. So how's the earth treating me? I think this, there's a lot of unseen taking care of us and helping us navigate. So, um, yeah. That's beautiful. I also love that you shifted it from world to earth, just like a small but perfect, perfect shift. Um, so we're so excited to have you here to kick off this next suite. Um, as we were figuring out what was kind of the theme that we wanted to spend some time really digging into, 
you know, we had a lot of ideas, some more kind of tangible movement work, more explicitly political. Um, but where we ended up was on something that I felt like was a conversation that needed to happen for a lot of reasons. And so over the next few weeks, we're going to be talking about mentorship, some of the nuances, complications, unique joys, best practices uh, of this idea of, of helping to bring the people around you along it is kind of my working definition of where I'm at with it right now. But I'm curious for you to start us off. Mentorship can be kind of a loaded word. For you, how do you define that word as clearly or vaguely as feels right? I'm still trying to process. You said your working definition is bringing the people around you Along. Along, yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Which I hadn't planned until I said it. <laughs> oh, so no, It was okay. nice that my, brain, okay. that my brain brought that with me. Um, but yeah, yeah, this idea that like I'm moving and my role is to bring people with me and make sure that they're able to come with me. That's That, that being one piece of it. I don't think that that's the only piece of it, but that's kind of where my head was at this morning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I feel that. Um, I never really um, have sat down and thought about what this word really means to me, what why it's uncomfortable, why I don't really, I think that it's kind of boxy and doesn't allow for the full like bloom. But I, I certainly know that it's about leaning in, being receptive to what we need to move through. But I think there's so many different ways to show up for someone. And I don't know, like, I don't know, is is the word mentorship something special or other than showing up for someone? Um, or is it just a commitment to show, you know, is it is it is it just that simply showing up for someone the best way that you can? And is it really cross-generational? Is it really circular and not just this hierarchical or like linear way of seeing it? You know, mentorship, the way it's been institutionalized is like, I'm the adult and I'm going to show you the way. <laughs> you know, instead of like, we're going to be co-workers in this. Yeah. And it's very like framed career-wise also of like, there's this ladder, I'm multiple steps forward on this ladder and I'm going to like, will you up this ladder basically. Yeah. yeah no, I mean, we're starting right where, where I would have wanted to jump in of we're real language nerds up here. So, so we'll dive in on a word and mentorship is interesting because it is one of those really wide symbols or containers that on one end, you know, you hear it used in the most intimate, sacred relationships. But as you just named, it's also been like institutionalized and non-profiticized, right? And, and like, you could just sign up for a job and your job is called mentor these kids, right? Um, that you don't have any relationship to, that's really about paperwork, that's about a grant. Um, and so it gets used so loosely, but why we were honored to always have you in this space, but to have you on in this conversation is there are probably few living people in our community that I have seen people name as a mentor more than you and, you know, your squad and family. But your name, I think, comes up the most of like my peers and even people that are younger than me. Um, and so we don't believe in authority and expertise but you got some authority in our book <laughs> on, on how we can deconstruct this. So I want us to keep giving ourselves space to play with the language of what we're actually trying to describe. Because um, more than this like very weighted word, I think we're trying to talk about how lineages are built, maintained, and transferred. And yes, you are a, a lineage maker. And so bouncing off that, let's go back a little bit 
I think it's easy to talk about all the work that you've done for young people, but I want to put yourself in your younger body a little bit. Um, and what were some of the generational lessons you learned about this stewardship of tradition and lineage as you were coming up, for better or for worse, right? <laughs> the, the what to do's and the what not to do's to kind of get us started in, in where you land in this tradition. Yeah, I think that's important. Well, two things I want to share. One is that being called a mentor, um, I think that the reason that I struggle with it is because I have seen it institutionalized so much. And I just, when I, a young person's like, this is my mentor, I'm like, uh, I don't work at the Boys and Girls Club. <laughs> like, no, that's, that's not what I gave you. <laughs> <laughs> or that's not what I want this relationship to be. But I also take responsibility as an adult. Like, and I think that speaks to a lot of like the, the climate right now in our city is that there's some blurred lines about being accountable as an adult in a young person or a young adult person's life, or just, let me say, I take accountability for the power that that gives me, mm. right? And the privilege that that gives me to be an influence or to know that some eyes are on me. But for better or worse, like I also know I got to move through my life and be who I am and I'm not going to put on a show for someone or pretend or, or you know, this is not a performance. This is my life, my journey. And some some days I'm better than other days, and I just ask for, for grace in that, right? And I try to stay in gratitude for the days that I feel like I'm getting it right for the most mm. part. So part of why I think that I really try to show up, you know, in folks' lives, um, and maybe that resonates with them where they're like, oh, yeah, just send them my mentor. I do that because I feel that I, it was lacked in my own life. I, f- I think that I was disappointed a lot by folks. or I, pu- I created these expectations of, how people should show up for me. And I don't know if they showed up the way that I expected them to, but I certainly know that like um, addictions and just, you know, social struggles kept a lot of the people I loved um, from showing up for me. You know, you hear folks be like, don't make a promise that you can't keep. Like, that's real. And I always tell like the KL folks, like, I'm going to under promise, but I'm going to surprise you. <laughs> you know, because I have this thing where I'm not going to commit to nothing. My no, I can't. I'm not I just don't. I've always been like that my whole life. And I think it's rooted in some of like my childhood of like being disappointed and so not wanting to disappoint other folks. Right. And so I think that that's why I kind of go hard. Like if I have a relationship with you, I'm going to try to be invested in it and believe in you to that. Like when everyone else has given up on you, I'm that one that's like, but wait. Don't you see the little like bud coming or like, you know, like I'm always looking and I'm always trying to be hopeful in humanity. I know that we are divine and that um, I don't know. I just always try to to see that in folks. I mean, even to the point where my own shorties be like, why you you stop? Like, you know, I get I get <laughs> criticized often for like giving too many chances, you know, and I'm not a sucker. Like I know, I, I know what it is like, don't. But I also know what it is, if you will. So, you know. I love that distinction. (laughs) One, I know what it is, but I know what it is. But also, (laughs) like, there's a way to give chances and believe in that spark or in that bud without being naive or or flattening the reality of the ways that people hurt each other. And, And where that connects to what you were saying earlier is your understanding of your responsibility also 
being in tension or contradiction or just at the same time as you living your own life and being a person, right? Like you're not going to be static and have everything figured out just because you have a responsibility to someone else. You're extending a lot of humanity to yourself in a way that I think helps you give it to other people too. The the, the word you used in that, that I'm really intrigued by, and I think I think we're going to pull this out. I think it's our first thread uh, is this notion of expectation. I heard you say of like those that came before you did not meet the expectations that you've had um, teaching you to make sure that the folks that you are providing for are offering something to aren't expecting what's beyond your capacity or where you are. But then also for those who are who you are, you know, supporting their development, um, even when they don't meet expectations, the way in which they they show up. Um, and so I want to I want to go into that to that personal of how do you manage <laughs> those expectations folks have of you a little bit more? And how do you hold when you don't feel like you can really meet that? Right. Like I hear you now having a real grace to it, but I imagine that took some years to to be able to to not always be trying to meet expectations that maybe won't be healthy for you. I, I really have just come to understand that we place expectations, I think, in my own inner child journey, like dealing with the passing of my mom's, which has been decades. Right. But like when my mama passed, we didn't have the best relationship. It, it, it was there was a lot of resentment in me towards her. I think it was because I had this expectation of how a mother should show up. It's not the same as a mentor, but 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 kind of right. Like you know, if 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 we thinking about in these various ways. So, anyways, without saying too much, I think I'm just coming to understand through trying to sit with uh, first praying for my my mother's presence to stay invested in me and and to guide me in this um, and to. Uh, you know, redeem sort of our our love relationship in that I have grappled with this word expectation because I think I had a heavy expectation of how she should show up in my life. And so just recently, am I really realizing that expectation is on you? <laughs> you know, it ain't got nothing to do with me. Like, I don't know where you got that from. I never did. I commit to we that. We didn't form an agreement here. Yeah. You know, yeah. and the truth is, is that I I think I didn't know people had expectation. Like, and that goes back to KL. Like when we started KL, we didn't have no, like, this is what you going to get out of this. Like, first of all, I was probably selfish. You know, we started because we knew things were so torn apart and we just, you know, had to start somewhere. We felt torn, right? We felt that we needed that space. And so, you know, coming together collectively with 10, 15 other people like we did. It was really just to start somewhere. And so we didn't start with like agreements around what you can expect here. Right. And I don't think we ever verbalized that, but certainly in our behaviors, we started to, you know, come through. And so I think when um, folks had uh, expectations of me, it's probably because of what they've seen. And I'm even learning now as I'm older, like, Yo, you expecting too much. Oh, you know why you expecting too much? Because Jacinda put you in a place to expect that. I mean, we we have a responsibility in the way that we interact with folks because then that becomes the norm. I'm processing a lot of that as I get older. When I was younger, I think I just wanted to be there for the shorty that it resonated. A lot of their lived experiences resonated with my own lived experiences that were not cared for. 
And so I wanted to care for you in ways that maybe I felt I didn't care for. And I've learned now, you know, 25 years later, that you can't really show up to space like that. You can't impose what you missed out on. You can't impose that on someone else because you do a disservice first to the soul relationship. Like, and I mean the spirits, like you're not engaging the spirit. You're not nurturing the spirit. If you're so busy trying to put what you think someone needs, you have to remove that so you can be aware of what is being asked, what what needs to be curated. And so, and I, you know, I learned that after I raised three children. So all my sons are grown now and I'm like, oh, damn, I forgot to listen to your spirit because I was so busy making sure you didn't go to jail like everybody I grew up around. I was so busy making sure you didn't have to, you know, endure racism or you weren't going to be some, you know, just foul dude. Like I was so busy telling them every story about being raped or molested or harmed or sharing with them that I never, their spirit was not even maybe on that. Their energy was maybe never even going to now have to navigate that. And I imposed so much of that on them. And I'm sure that trickled over to like my, my relationships in Kumba links. Right. Um, I think that's a really meaningful point especially when coupled with the kind of grace that you gave yourself earlier (laughs) of I'm just a person moving through this also. Um, But those kinds of expectations on what other people need, in many ways, what it can do is reinforce power dynamics, right? And and whether that's age or whether that's around other forms of like power being enacted, this idea of this is what you need to move forward, but it's fully just a projection of what either I needed or what I got that helped me. Because it's not always from that place of, of deficit. It can also be from this place of like, here's the roadmap, as opposed to taking the time to try to listen. So even as we identified that that's a thing that doesn't work, it sure as hell doesn't stop people from trying, right? How much of the work, and it's not always in a harmful way or a difficult way. So much of what we do is to try to meet a need for ourselves, not just for other people. Um, But the transparency, the honesty about that helps, I think, set those terms and set those expectations. So for you now, having learned some of those lessons, how do you try to set those agreements, even if they're not expectations now for someone, let's say, you know, a 15 year old person who just started writing poetry or dancing or whatever walks into the chaos space. What's the kind of introduction of like, here's what we have to offer. And and here's what we're asking you to bring to the table. I don't think it's changed at all (laughs) in terms of, it hasn't changed in terms of, I love hard. I go hard. I love hard. Yes, I have context and his history for why that is, for even the way that I present in the world, for how I love. Like there are so many layers to um, the the way I show up into the world, right? And so we started to dive in a little bit to my childhood, and I could do a whole damn series, you know, on just ch- on my childhood and why. But the reality is, is that I love hard, and you'll get to know why I love hard because I'm I'm pretty transparent with my life and my journey. I oftentimes, young folks will say, "Why well, don't you need to write a book about you know?" Because I may come off one way, but when you start to hear a little bit about my story, sometimes they're shocked to know some of the 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 thing the pieces of my life. But um, but I don't think I've changed that much in that I try to be transparent. I try to be honest. I'm not trying to, you know, like I I got a raw mouth, but at the same time, like I will give it to you. Like 
the truth about how I feel about a situation. And you can ask most young folks, I know they'll say, or like even my peers at KL will say like, she loves hard, but she also will like tell you about yourself and give you a foot rub. And I don't know if that's right or not. I think maybe again, that might be something that I want to hear the truth, but I want you to have grace with me when you tell me the truth. Right. And so I think I'm maybe that is how I'm showing up is the way that Again, how I want folks to show up for me or ways that I've seen people show up. I've witnessed it and been like, I like that style of love. I show up in this role, if you will, just trying to love critically, trying to love equitably and being honest about like, I'm still struggling to love myself. So as I'm trying to love you and hold space for you, like I'm trying to do that for me. Mm, what? Yeah, that's beautiful. Um a little shift from there, something we kind of talked about beforehand and that I'm interested in is also breaking some of the traditional linear age dynamics that we put on to notions of guidance and learning or, or mentorship. You named as a young person having these unmet expectations or disappointments or having to hold some of the limitations of those that you were looking up to or, or hoping to be able to depend on. Uh, but now you are in this like seemingly fully formed, very powerful, very experienced place. Are there folks that give you that type of mentorship or are meeting your expectations now for your support? Yeah, I like that you asked that too, right? Because I'm even defining like a real linear idea of like showing up for someone, meaning that there is an, a relationship like exchange, right? Of like it's reciprocal or that it's at least tangible. I had an uncle who was... um Man, he had a crazy history in Uptown, just, you know, like a six foot something indigenous brother that was just wild on Wilson Avenue. And everybody knew him growing up. <laughs> That's a title of something. I'm sorry. Wild on Wilson Avenue. That really, I, I, I didn't want to interrupt. I saw Don't the, do it. No, I can, I can see the one woman show. Absolutely. <laughs> but wild on Wilson Avenue. Man, <laughs> listen, growing up on Wilson Avenue was no joke. Okay. Especially when you would walk down and see your cousins and your uncles being buck wild out there. Um, I have so many stories I could tell you about that. But the point was, is that he had a partner. My my mom's side of my family, I've never met my dad's side of my family, but my mother's side of the family are mixed uh, race, Choctaw and Appalachian white. And so they migrated to Uptown. And there, there's a big like native and white, poor white like population back in like the 70s and 80s. And my mother met probably my first mentor, I would say, besides, you know, my mama was um, she met a guy that was part of um, a coalition that was working under the leadership of Fred Hampton. And he was organizing folks in Uptown through the, the selling of the Black Panther newspaper. So my family became real intermingled with these organizers and activists in Uptown and the Black Panther Party, like the Black Liberation Movement because of my mother's relationship with this man. I have so much love for him. He did not play like, he was the first person I ever saw that had books in their house, like on like a bookshelf or something, <laughs> you know, like. That is a really important distinction. Yeah, yeah it's like, you so know, you books in here? Dude, like, what is this? I thought that shit, he got a library. You need to take them books back to the library. <laughs> you live in a library? <laughs> Right. And it wasn't a lot, but he had like, you know, the, the main shit, like the little red book, the, you know, like all that stuff. So, mm -hmm. but he also like, I had all the Panther papers. And when, you know, I was coming up in like hip hop culture, he was like, you're going to have to read all this shit because you, you have, you know, 
the trajectory that you're on, like you just you have to know. You have to know your history. You have to know the work of of black liberation. So but anyways, that's I know. So one of the other like women involved in, in that coalition, she dated my uncle. The wild, um, wild on Wilson. Wild on Wilson. <laughs> and you know, she, she, her, and a couple other like of them, you know, because in my immediate home, outside of the organizing that was happening, there was just a lot of like drug and alcohol abuse and just violence, home violence and shit. And so, oftentimes they would like save me as a child, like carry me out of an apartment in the midst of like insanity, or they just seemed to like I have memories of them. I remember when I ha- first had, I was young when I had my first shorty and um, one of them helped pay my rent. Like this particular woman was like, you know, cause I, I didn't really have a place where I was living. And she was like, I'm going to give you a hundred dollars for the first year, a month towards your rent. Putting money on it is part of this concept of mentorship, right? She also gave me some really good advice. I asked her like, give me your advice. Like what's your, what's the one wisdom you got from being in the, working in the movement all this time? And she was like, trust your gut. You know, I was already on that. And I was like, yep, you just affirm what, like, for me is the realest, the realest way to move through the world. Um, and, you know, there's multiple um, folks like that. Um, you guys know Healthy Hood, Tanya Lozano. Right. So so it's so beautiful. Like when I see her in the movement doing the work that she's doing, I love it because, you know, her daddy and my stepdaddy, the brother I told you about that I when I met when I was like seven, they were like in leadership positions doing that movement building work. And I knew when Tanya, I remember when Tanya was born and I remember Tanya's mom like living with us. And so when I see her and I see like, when I think about mentorship, I'm like, damn, your daddy and mama trained you up. Like you, you got what they probably intended for a lot of us, like that movement. Like she really got that in a profound way that I just, so I I, I admire that. So um, I know I just was talking about Tanya's mentorship and you asked me about mine, but so that was when I was really young, like that type of impact. And obviously my dad or my stepdad, whatever, um, the impact that he had on um, probably being one of my first mentors, those were like adult figures. Then when I was a late teen, I was part of a collective called Youth Struggling for Survival, which was for indigenous youth. And I had... Um, the, we called them Papa Frank and Mama Lou. And it was this couple and they had their own shorties, but they really were about taking urban Indians, if you will. And like just giving us um, space and place to like relearn a lot of our ceremony and our practices that maybe, you know, we weren't aware of. Because you have to know that like indigenous folks really couldn't even practice ceremony until like mid 70s. So I'm born into right when it's now legal to practice ceremony, right? And so none of the folks before me had any idea of that. They weren't practicing that, right? They were whitewashed, like, you know, ashamed of that. So that mentorship was so instrumental in my teens and my early 20s, having that mentorship and that guidance, you know, and just be reminded of how I show up. And I have a a thought about a mentor in that time, Papa Frank, we used to sweat a lot and he would, I, I have a thing about being claustrophobic, like, I'd be tripping. Like, I don't even want to wear things. Like, I go through phases where I'm like, take everything off. (laughs) I'm freaking out. The anxiety is real. So, obviously, when you go, when you sweat, it's, you know, tight quarters. Meaning like a sweat lodge? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like in a neepy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And so... Because some people just are out here sweating. So I wanted to make sure that we, <laughs> right, right, right. Sorry, we made yes. a distinction. Right, right. Because there, there are men named Frank who sweat a lot. And there's no ritual connected to that. 
Like I, I have a cousin Frank who sweats a lot. But <laughs> my <laughs> bad. Yes, like a ceremony in Nipi sweat where you're pouring, you know, you hot stones and like yes, Google it. I don't know what to say. <clears throat> um, but I have a, a memory of him saying to me so many times, like, get your breath, and you're not doing this for you. You're doing this for your people. You're doing this for the ones you love. And so, yeah, when it gets hard, like I so again, like, so I kind of remember these faint things that folks said to me, some of the elders, right? And then moving through life, I think also I've had young folks be my mentors. My shorties, the ones that I've birthed, have been instrumental to my evolution. You know, I think my oldest son has checked me so many times with just, I mean, and it's been, it's been, you know, ugly. But I think that he has mentored me to take a different lens. He challenged my power, right? When he thought that I was abusing it. I think, yeah, I think, man, that's great mentorship because he still loves me and he still looks to me for guidance. And and we were talking about like this like construction of like, this is how you should be or right. Like, it's funny because we still look for folks to do that for us, to give us this kind of structure and and kind of teach us how we should be and exist and and interrogate like I know I want that so I I guess I'm assuming other folks want that and I see in other folks behaviors that they want that but at the same time they want that but then they want you to back up and give some grace because I know I do like okay I see you showed me now let me try this out let me do it my way let me put a twist on it my sons have given me that kind of mentorship and so have you know other kale youth or kale staff that have been like you know, but I think it's been love and sometimes it's been hard. And I don't know if that answers what you were asking just about the different kinds of mentorship. Yeah. 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 I don't have a question. I just things I want to pull out from there or or reflect back that, that are are really profound for me. Uh, One, that sweat lodge story of healing or sustaining yourself as a selfless act um, is, is really powerful, right? Like take care of yourself and it's not for you, which is something I can know abstractly, but that that just really resonated. Um, and just real quick on that, yeah. it really goes to show you that you shouldn't have made fun of me for my sauna usage last episode. Oh, no, 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 no. I affirmed the sauna usage. I was making fun of <laughs> the post-sauna Instagram post <laughs> where you were outside of your outdoor sauna. I'm a sauna lover. You, you, the Deep Ergo fans know I'm, a, I'm one of the biggest sauna advocates in the Midwest region. Um, <laughs> We're going to have to get an Ergo sauna at some point because this is one of the things we deeply agree on. But but just, just to let you know what, what you're stepping All in right. on. All right. Why did I do this? I had so. to call him out for being a super white boy because <laughs> before I recognized this was sauna day, I just see him on Instagram. And this was like two days after the polar vortex. And okay. there were snowflakes outside. <laughs> also in the you had on shorts. touching... His chest hair was exposed. He had on just a towel over his shoulder coming out. Allow me to explain. It was 250 degrees in the sauna. In the sauna. This was the moment I stepped out of the sauna. Uh Uh-huh. Right? So it was, I wasn't like going for a jog. You know you had your chocolates and shorts on. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. Why why I did this to myself. So having the moment outside of the sauna, I respect. Recording the sauna, I respect. It is, I am 
going from 250 degrees to two degrees, <laughs> let me stop right here and reflect about the community. <laughs> that is, that's the white boy. That, that <laughs> is a point of introspection. <laughs> yeah, I understand. <laughs> you can have that same reflection. Ocean, indoors. House. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I'm just there. I don't want to see the sky. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> I'm glad we got to the bottom of that. But but we do need to we do need to uh, map out so, some some more of the these sweat lodges, and I think that is a, a practice that I want to pick up a little bit more. But the the one other thread I just want to name, and I feel like we probably I probably gave you your gas when you, when you and Jaquanda came on back when we were still at the station. Um, but this notion of liberation movement. Black liberation movement and indigenous sovereignty being at the root of of how you were formed and how you like form other folks. I just want to even shout you out in terms of, you know, the impact you had in my life. Um, It might not have been the first time we were in the same room or or like bumped, but it was the first time we actually like met uh, was a week before I went down to Ferguson. And it was like a real casual, like a Wednesday afternoon or something, <laughs> just like an impromptu, let's have a discussion. And it was Mick Jenkins was there, <laughs> Psalm One was there. You had somebody else talking and we were just processing the moment and you had gathered a bunch of like good, like a bunch of water and canned goods for us to take down. Uh, but also these Kumba links, we get free tank tops and you didn't fully know me but like I, I i was trying to like show off and like participate in the conversation like show these people who i am um and just like the level of trust and honor and like you are a part of something and you are doing something right like i just felt like hitting the road very grounded um and since that moment right like kuma links has been family and, and an inseparable part of this movement iteration that we are in. And just hearing the fact that, you know, coming from that Rainbow Coalition Panther moment, um, being so central into how you create everything. Yeah, I just wanted to reflect that back of, you know, mentorship can go everywhere. It can be in the corporate space. It can be something we just say, uh, but particularly in this movement work that we're trying to do, how important it is. Just those little bowls of confidence, right? So you you didn't go outside your way, but but you showed me love in a way that I felt like I was a part of something that has helped me be grounded, like I think even to this day. So, mm. so, so yeah, yeah. So does that count as giving some gas? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Perfect. Gas give thanks. Give thanks. <laughs> Man, give thanks for the lived experiences that we have that, you know, that fill us with enough gratitude and and energy to to keep it going. Again, that's that piece like you're you're on when you don't even know you're on cuz that that was like the most low key it was. It, it was it, like I, people in there. <laughs> yeah, you know, and I wasn't doing anything but like just bringing the water in. Like yep. it's those moments, right? It's not when you're like, it's the the uh, you know mentor um, conference. It's not that you know. There's not a definition for it. There's not an agreement around it. But it's just, I guess, trying to be like real with like who you are and how you. And everyone has a different style because there's other folks in Kale that that do center more on themselves and taking care of themselves probably than I'm expressing. And I think that that's important too, because taking care of yourself means that then you can exist in a way where you, that's mentorship. If I see you, like you got your hair braided up, you looking good, you feeling good. Like that's mentorship because then that shows me, oh, I am worthy of love. I am worthy of that extra moment for myself. And now I can provide that for someone else. Like, so I just, I think 
it shows up in so many different ways. Are you calling me out for showing up bummy the last three years? Because that's... <laughs> I'm joking. No. That's your style. <laughs> no, 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 no. The braids is one thing. But, but to the point of showing up looking good, I feel like I've dropped the ball on that for <laughs> Not everyone has to. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but but on a serious note, so I, I noted expectation earlier as a thread that I'm pulling out. But in there, I feel this notion of example. Because what I felt when walking into that park district, not knowing that I was about to go upstairs into this new utopia, because uh, I had never even seen the KL space before. I knew about it, obviously. A moment to this day that I still live with of, oh, this is something I aspire to. Um, and so even that conversation, right? Like, I just came, thought I was going to pick some shit up and get out of there. But the way in which, even though it was somewhat informally, we had a, a very facilitated space. Um, and those are examples that that's, that stick. And so, yeah, I just want to pull, pull that out as something as we talk to other folks. I mean, yeah, I think that's really something to think about, like, how are we intentional with every moment that we have on this earth? Because we have so few moments, right? There is no really beginning, middle or end. There is no past, future or present. It's really all connected. And so how are you in it? You know, it's easy to like sit, sit up here in this moment when I'm just chilling and say that. But the challenge is in the thick of it, when our hearts are broken, when it's something something that we don't want to talk about or address that we have to, how can we still be present and have that divine understanding? Like, mm. that's hard when I'm cursing your, your ass out and I, <laughs> I forget I have to be reminded of that. And then I think that's why mentorship is not a solo act. I don't think that it's an individual piece. So even the conversations that we're going to have with folks, you know, around this idea is like, how do you collectively mentor? How, you know, what does that look like? What does it look like to, you know, be intentional? Are you intentional with it? Um, even if you don't have a playbook, there must be some intentionality in just your presence and your, in your relationship. But, you know, what is that? Like, what are the, you know, how do you prepare for that even? Yeah. And I mean, the move to the collective seems like we reach that point in every suite and that's kind of what we always come back to. Damon, I'm just thinking about like your impact that day. Right. And I'm thinking, well, I didn't do nothing special that day. But you know what? Jaquan and I talk about this all the time. Like we are cooking always. Mm-hmm. We don't know what's finna, what we're making, right? But we are cooking. You know, we have this um, song that we had uh, in our shows. It's like, we, you are sick, but for you, we brew our homemade remedy. You are home, sweet home. We will never leave. And that's really like to the young folks, to the elders. Like, we know we need remedy. We know we need medicine. And so, of course, Western t- uh, information teaches us, oh, go to the doctor because <clears throat> I'm coughing. But we know the remedy starts way before that cough ever comes, right? If we're really taking care of and nurturing one another. So the way that you experienced KL in that moment, that wasn't planned, facilitated, written out. We didn't have an agenda. We didn't say we're going to do da-da-da-da-da. But we had- Funded. <laughs> it wasn't funded, but the work was happening Right. And so you just reaped probably an energy or a space or an interaction that was it was part of the recipe. You know, it was part of the cooking that was had been happening and that continues to happen. Mm. To what you were just saying about the building of that remedy and the not knowing exactly what's going in the pot, but also that sometimes it's harder to hold that abundance in the challenging moments. 
and I don't think we're going to go super in depth, but I want to use it to kind of frame the next piece of this conversation a little bit as, as we figure out what else we're going to ask our guests. We, we were already thinking about mentorship and how to frame these conversations, but uh, a lot of that's coming right now for us in this moment of feeling like a lot of the people who have been in that role for the communities that we're part of have come up short in some really meaningful, impactful, and harmful ways. You know, figuring out not just how do you relitigate the specifics of the choices that people made, but what are the remedies that we can build now in our own work before the cough comes? Because that's what, through all these suites, keeps coming up is the people who can lead and facilitate in those moments of crisis are the people who have built the structures, the recipes, the full bubbling pot on the stove before people are hungry, they're already cooking. With that said, are there any other themes or questions or things that, you know, thinking about the people that we're going to talk to who work across many different areas from youth work to within the academy to formal political organizing? Are there other themes or questions that you want to make sure that we cover with all of them? And, and it could be things that you have answers to or the things that you're wrestling with for yourself, too. Yeah. Okay, so help me form the question because I'll just share a, 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 That's what we do. a we moment with you. <laughs> okay, cool. So I'm reflecting on, so my dad was directly impacted and guided by Fred Hampton and the whole Panther movement in Chicago. And so when the 50th anniversary came, they were invited to, to present um, on some of their work in Oakland. And so, of course, I'm like, I'm going with you to that. <laughs> Nobody loves Oakland more than Chicago movement people. It's like a very clear, like, oh, we're going to go to Oakland? <laughs> it's like, right. it's like how people talk about going to like Fiji. It's like, no, we're going to Oakland. Right. No, you're so right. And I'm like, oh, I can't wait. I, my, one of my favorite places is the, the Black Muslim uh, Bakery. Oh my God, they got the best carrot cake muffins, the best bean pie, like all that. So, so yeah, that was that was really my intention. But I'm like, yeah. So I'm, I go with him to that, and you know, a lot of the so you know Elaine Brown, like all the all the, the top dogs are there, right? Not Angela Davis, but like all the the other top dogs are there, right? I'm not starstruck, right? Because like Elaine Brown has been in my crib when I was growing up. I didn't know who or what she was, but. At the time, I just thought she was, you know, the friend, a friend or a homie. But <laughs> now I'm like, oh my god, I didn't get her autograph. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, um, but and that was typical, like growing up, I get uh, more than I understood. But anyway, so they were like on these panels talking, and I remember like at one point in the in the conference, um, looking at my dad, and he was like distraught, like kind of heartbroken and teary eyed, or. And I could be adding a little bit more to just because I'm an emotional being by nature. But he's like said something to the effect of to me is like these women have been so harmed in this movement. Something to the effect of like, I wish that we would have, you know, paid more attention to that or um, something like that. And so I knew that like as a 15, 16 year old, like studying that or as a 19 year old, I think that's when Asada's book came out. And I, I remember reading pieces of that. I, st I still wasn't into reading at that age. Like I didn't get into reading until much later in life. You didn't have the books at that point. <laughs> right. Let's be fair. You know, uh, <laughs> right. I probably had more of them books, them shits around my life than most people. But I was, you know, I was still, my, it was a little sad story. Is my mom really like didn't ever finish school. Like she had a love for reading that was like, I would just be like, what the hell is wrong with this lady? But I understand now as an adult, like she's just like, I'm going to 
teach myself. But we would go to the library and she'd get like stacks of books. She's like, I'm going to learn everything that is about Harold Washington's life or I'm going to. And she would do it. Um, and I would so turned off by, by just the thought of that. <laughs> um, but now I like reading, which, you know, there's some mentorship. There's a piece there where it's go. just by example. Right. But anyway, so he told me that. And I was thinking, oh, I've been through that. Like, you sleep, you're late, bro. Like, I've been through that that was a problem. It's not that he didn't know at all. Like, he knew that there was the falling apart of that movement internally, like what that looked like in terms of drugs or like abuse that had happened, right? He knew, he was aware of that. He was a part of that. Like, he will say now as part of his truth, he used to abuse my mom's crazy style, but he was also an addict. And when he stopped, when my first child was born, he never drank, never did anything. He never put his hands on my mother ever again after that. And they had a relationship for, you know, 12 years before she passed, post all of that time. So I say that just to say that I, I believe in transformation and I believe that he's still learning and evolving and learning that. And so I just, so my question around that, I think is like, I knew that, but I never challenged him on that or I never had conversation with him about that. and so. It took too long. It's like it's taking too long for that shit, y'all. Like, really? Like, could we? I could have had this conversation with you and probably moved differently because I I reflect on the ways that I've showed up in in this leadership position that I didn't ask for, but I certainly stepped into. And you know, folks pointed out every day, like you have some power that maybe you didn't ask for, but you certainly do. Which go do with it. And I think that. Because I hadn't grappled with that type of harm, right? That whatever that was. And there's all kinds of that, from sexual abuse to like whatever it is, just as a female presenting body in the world, like I never had anyone in the movement affirm that that was important, even though for me it was important. And here's my dad at the 50th anniversary of the Panthers saying that shit is important. Like that's why this movement didn't make it. Right. And did you know that um, did you know Rosa Parks was into yoga? I'm like, what the fuck? Why am I just learning this now? I've been trying to be on that. But you could have told me that like we could have talked about this and that would have affirmed me in what my gut told me was wrong with what I had learned from your work towards liberation. And so I don't know what the question is, but there's got to be something about the wisdom, the things that we don't talk about, what our gut told us, but we put to the side, like we're just going to fight for Black folks. We're not going to have these other conversations. Like whatever it was that caused him to say, I'll sideline that because there's something more priority. We need to do that sideline work. Help me figure that question out. But I think there's something there. You got it at the end with sideline work, I think is a great title for it, right? Like there are so many things that we we put to the side. And how do you make space for, for the sideline? <laughs> so to extend the metaphor, right? Like that's where the plays are called. That's where like injuries are taped up. That's where people hydrate. And hide and keep yeah. secrets. Because I like your sports. Your sports analogy is like on point, right? Because I, I have three athlete sons. And it's like, I don't know how many times I've had these side conversations with parents where they're like, yeah, he's got a um broken uh, blah, blah, blah. But you know, we're not telling nobody. What the fuck? <laughs> we're not telling folks that our children just had uh, have what we're allowing them to continue the facade that they're unbreakable that they don't need space and time to heal that this is too much at too young of an age you know or whatever that is but but that idea of like yeah there's so much that there's a lot to explore there and interrogate and the challenge so that we can shift and move differently yeah 
And the truth is that it's not the sideline at all, right? We've relegated these conversations to there. But it's it reminds me of something we talked about. I can't remember which episode it was in. It might have been in the Angela episode, but this this idea that like there were all of these internal contradictions, these interpersonal harms that were happening that were treated with this, we don't talk about that. And you're expected to keep that at the door because in here we do capital P political work or we do capital L liberation work. And that the act of sidelining those, even though they're central to that fight, creates these patterns that are destructive. And so if what we're seeing right now is generationally within movement work, people refusing to do that sidelining and say, no, we're going to confront these conflicts, not just because it's important and we want people to feel good, but because like we have to face these contradictions in ourselves if we're asking the world to face them also. That doesn't mean just because we're choosing to face them that we have the tools to do so. And that's where I think a lot of the challenge of this moment is, is that to the point of what you were saying about the generation before us or the generations before, we didn't inherit a lot of tools from them directly to address those types of harm, right? Because they didn't have those tools either. And I think it's super important to say that and, and name that and state that because, and I was sharing that earlier on with just reconciling my own relationship with my mother, right? Is like, um, you know, it didn't start with her. And also just being conscious of like, we point fingers and it's your fault, right? Because you didn't da 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 da. And, I, and so I'm thinking of when I was young, they used to, I used to get called smiley because I always was smiling. And the truth was, I was so sad as a shorty. Like I have a, a, a memory of, um, it was just a typical night of like a lot of just drinking and drugs and, and a lot of adults just up all night till the sun comes up. And I'm getting ready for school in the morning and I'm walking over like, you know, bodies that are just kind of like, because they had a little bit too much to drink. Like everybody's kind of falling out. There had been a fight and the police had come. And so there was like some blood and just, it was like an, a crazy scene, right? From childhood. And I'm not saying I didn't have a beautiful childhood where there was not that kind of stuff. This just happened to be one of those days. And so, you know, we always remember that type of shit before we go in, and remember our, our, the joy of our DNA. So please don't, I'm not, woe is me or nothing, but I'm sharing this to say, like, I remember being really sad and, and disheartened. I had these rituals of like prayer when I was little and things like that would happen. But I remember walking out the crib. I was, I got on a bus to go to school and uh, it was this boy and his name was Muhammad and he would always make fun of me. He was just African-American brother from uptown. He lived in 4848 and he would always be like, why your motherfucking ass always smiling? And I think about that as a child and I'm like, if I had the courage, I would have been smacked his ass and been like, boy, you don't, you don't even fucking know. Like you have no idea why I'm smiling. I'm smiling so I don't beat your ass on this bus. Because I have so much that I'm trying to figure out. But my point is, is that it's a learned behavior, right? To smile and keep it moving and to prioritize other people's supposed like idea of what they need, right? And so the, in the movement, they did that. They swept it under the rug. They kept it quiet because they wanted to prioritize, you know, what they thought was the right way of interacting. But it gives people a false sense of what the reality of things are. So anyways, I think it's, an, uh, it's a human nature thing. And so I don't blame it solely on our elders or even on our generation for not doing that. I do say, though, when you know you got to do the work. You got, we got to figure it out. And so that's kind of where I'm at now is like, shoot, I know that I didn't cause harm, but I certainly didn't. I don't know if we intentionally thought like, okay, 
how does Kumbaling's hold space for survivors? And this is three women who started KL who are all survivors. But we never really named that or said, Let's, this is how we're going to hold space in that way. It actually took a white cis man to point that out to us. Interestingly enough, that, that we were not necessarily holding consent culture in the way that we should. But, you know, that's his privilege that he had that eye because he wasn't in it. I, I think, I mean, that's the only way I can explain it. Like, how the fuck did you come from the outside and tell us you're not being intentional enough about consent culture in the space when we're like, our whole damn life is about consent. Like, <laughs> yeah. we started this because of consent, but naming it in that way. Right. I hear in many ways this notion of time, right? So we, we there's almost this spatial notion of like the sideline, putting things off, but in you talking about that personal journey related to your pop's narrative of like this 50 year late <laughs> recognition or at least naming of that recognition the question i get from that is in what time do you name the tough lessons uh cuz it's not that the lessons weren't learned right like i hear you saying that your dad knew this but it took a while to be able to share and pass down the lineage of of that lesson and so when and how do you share the tough lessons cuz when should hit the fan Folks who are in position are learning, right? And they are gaining understandings. Um, and some of it is complicated in terms of what you can say to a uh, unprotected space, but some of it is also very self-protective. Um, and, and and one thing just for the listeners, I think it's already on the Ergo reading list. Um, mentioned Asada as a text that obviously I'm sure you probably have some familiarity with and should pick up if you haven't already. But Elaine Brown's text, A Taste of Power, needs to always be read right next to it. Um, and it's probably one of the best firsthand accounts of how gender dynamics and gender violence affected the Black Panther Party. And so for those who don't know, we just shout out Elaine, like we all on a first yes. basis. Um, <laughs> Elaine Brown served as the, yeah, the chair. She wasn't the in my living room. Like, <laughs> <laughs> was was the chair, the leader of, of the, the party when um, Huey had to exile to Cuba. So for about three or four years, um, this woman was ahead of this, super nationalist, super machismo space. But while women were in formal leadership, they created the, the the best performing school in California. And the moral of the story is like, the men came back home and fucked up. <laughs> so in case you don't want to read it, that's what ends up happening. But for those who are trying to... <laughs> <laughs> but you should know that 50 years later already. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. If you don't. The one takeaway that I have from um, Elaine Brown is having the correct analysis. Like that was what she always talked about. Right. What does that really mean? That means like really thinking about the context, the history, the lived experience. For me, this is how I interpret what she she means. I think. Um, you know, she would obviously articulate it way better and, and say, no, nah, that you got it. You, you're not getting it all. But for me, I think that's part of like that learning lesson that I take from her around an, a correct analysis is like how you enter, how you exist and how you exit relationships or community or space so that we don't get sidelined and sidetracked. Right. I love that breakdown of enter, exist and exit because we almost never talk about how people exit spaces, right? Or exit relationships, especially non-romantic relationships, whether it's collaborative, whether it's movement work, that's just not a piece. Uh, even institutionally, we don't talk about that. Yeah, I like that. And I like even talking about that because I think we do that. And then folks who we have these relationships with feel, again, there's a blame thing that happens. Well, you didn't you just left me out or or they have an, an expectation. We got some alliteration going. 
Expectation, example, exit. Here we go. It's happening. <laughs> We're getting close. Um, so to to kind of wrap, here are the things that I think I've pulled from this conversation and feel free to jump in with others. So that idea of expectations, that practice by example and the intention in every moment, this idea of mentorship not being a solo act, that it can be a collective mentoring, this idea of creating the remedy long before the cough comes, uh, trusting your gut. How do we take what gets labeled as sideline work, keep that on the field? And in what time do we share those tough lessons that come from the experience of that work? And then kind of overall, how do you create the structures for people to enter, exist, and exit relationships and spaces? Does that seem Enter that seem and thorough? exist. We are oh, on a <laughs> <laughs> I usually am thrilled with alliteration. I don't know why I'm just distraught. Um, oh, no, it's happening. Because um, we just made mentorship real hard. <laughs> yeah. Well, it is. Yeah, um, obviously. <laughs> this seems, I feel like I got enough to run with when these conversations. Justin, is there any other thread that you want to make sure we touch on with folks? And again, thank you for going through all this with us. Yeah, no, I've enjoyed it. I think it's been helpful for me too. Uh, not off the top of my head. What do you think, Damon? One, one thing that I think we said before and we also touched on here is this divide or tension or counterbalance between institutionalized notion of mentorship and guidance and these more indigenous communal practices of legacy and lineage building. Um, and so we'll probably go a little bit deeper and probably when we wrap up, talk about that a little bit more. But that's something that I'm interested in because that feels like one of the elephants in the room is that we have professionalized something that comes from a different lexicon and a different tradition. And with that, we haven't been able to set up like the right parameters to be able to do it effectively in both spaces, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. I'll, okay, so here's two things that I think I'll leave with um, that you make me think of when you say that, Damon. And so the first is that, so I'm a practicing Muslim. And so in Islam, we are taught there's no compulsion in the practice, right? It's you come on your own terms when you want to come. You may have an impression of like what our home looks like, but ain't nobody in here practicing Islam, but who wants to practice Islam. So that comes. And then this idea of like there's a, there's this indigenous kind of Choctaw idea around the sun. And as long as the sun is shining on a physical being, there is hope and there is guidance and there is a, a, a walk that is worthy of walking lightly. And when there is no more sun, you're dead. Just that notion of like we're all worthy of a walk and figuring out how to walk most lightly are the kind of things that you make me think of just in the in the summary of like just keeping that at the, the sort of forefront. Like you don't got to do this. You come to it how you are and when you need to and when you're ready. And everyone is worthy of that love of, of, of relationship, of mentorship or whatever. Everyone's worthy of some sunshine. And maybe to that point, part of the role is to help make sure that that sunshine is felt, right? Or to like open the blinds or to make sure that people are standing in the sunshine that's setting on them. Here, here's, a, here's a sentence and I, I, I hear it from... <laughs> we should do that before every sentence. <laughs> no, I got, I here's got a, a sentence, sentence. for y'all. Yeah. Um, and I'm pulling this sentence from, you know, the, the notion of being like really loving on your young folks and like the, the notion of, I know what it is, but I know what it is. The language of transformation was very clear. And I think transformation sometimes become abstract and like buzzwordy in our little generation, but mentorship as like 
a, a mutual technology or landscape for transformation. Um, and that's what the journey is. Because I've also heard in all of these notes how these are transformative for you and how you always have to like re-question yourself and your place. Um, so whether it's, you know, doing that nonlinear thing of like you having to check yourself and how you check your young folks, but also getting a lesson from your dad, but also kind of like, even if you didn't say it out loud, kind of like spiritually checking him of like, we should have had this a long time ago. And it being this like mutuality of transformation is, is something that I'm feeling. It wasn't actually a sentence. It was a paragraph, but that's, <laughs> that's Damon in a nutshell. <laughs> yeah. It's good though. It's, yeah. 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 It's a good paragraph. Yeah. 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 So something in there, I think um, if we haven't mentioned it around that, even if it's just that notion of like seven generations forward, seven generations back, like what does that mean in the ethos of mentorship? And that gets it out of that individualized, right? That it's not all about individual transformation, um, but there's that generational piece. Yeah, because if you change and I'm the same, that's not going to work. <laughs> <laughs> you know, this really, uh, yeah. that's just without naming call-out culture and having that conversation, but that's part of it, right? Like each one of us have a responsibility no matter what we're carrying. And I, I know, and I say that, you know, very softly and gently, I'm not trying to be Adrian Marie Brown with any, like, I'm not trying to go through that, right? But I am saying we all have a part to play in our evolution and in our commitment towards this more reimagined, more just world that we all are so easy to talk about out of our mouth. But what does that look like in our physical body? Like, how does our body take that in and express that? How does our spirit, our mind, like, how does that look? We all have a piece of growth in that. You hear that, listeners? <laughs> <laughs> and you hear that, me? <laughs> yeah, yeah. If you change it and I have it, something ain't right. <laughs> That's great. I'm so excited for this suite. Jacinda, we'll check in with you a couple times uh, throughout. And then for those who haven't heard our suite format, after uh, a series of conversations over the next six, seven weeks, we'll circle back with uh, with Jacinda and maybe some of the folks from KL to talk about what we learned based on those themes. Yeah. How can folks find you and your work in the ways you want to be found? And what can they do to support the work of KL? Yeah, just I think uh, I'm not real big on social media personally, but um, once in a while when I feel like it and have time. Uh, but Kumba Links, just follow Kumba Links. You know, we we just opened up a new space called It's a Vibe. Well, actually, it's been a year that we opened it up, but just because it is, it's been a, a damn factory for mutual aid stuff. But it's a healing art space, right? It's really about doing a lot of this work, this interpersonal, like self-healing, collective healing. Um, so... Yeah, just checking with Kumbalink's IG. You know, I think that's the IG is the best. Maybe Facebook. Um, that's where you can find out stuff about us. And really just got to drop in. Like the journey happens in space. We don't really talk about it as much as, I mean, you know, it's one thing to put a flyer up, but it's another thing to just be in space. Yeah. We, we can edit this out if you don't want it out there, but uh, are you still promoting the um, the tooth bedazzling? Oh, okay. Yes. So for just, sure. You know. Just want to get you, get your pub right. out there. There you go. Thank you. And then, I feel you know, like we my... just took a very hard left turn on that, <laughs> on that walk. <laughs> of course, my sideline hustles, because we, we all have to have them, is, you know, I am a tooth gym artist and I'm always looking for ways to make people smile. And so I do have uh, an Instagram. Uh, <laughs> there you go. I didn't even think about that's that. That's revenge on him. Right, right, right. There you go. Right, <laughs> Nah, it's what yeah. you get, 
Mohammed. <laughs> um, we're gonna we're putting this opal on your on your incisor. Let's go. <laughs> right, right. So tooth gems by Ja. Um, I don't have an IG, but if you follow my Ja, the amp mouth, because um, I'm loud. I do occasionally put up information, and in my link tree, I do support birth work, and it's also the work of Kumba Links. Um, it's called Womb Warriors, and I support families who are birthing. Uh, postpartum. I also have um, a training or mentorship or guidance, whatever you want to call it. People call it certification. I don't really like that. But I do, if you're interested in being a birth worker and supporting birthing folks in our city, I will mentor and support you through that as a free resource. So I don't charge for it. I just want as many black and brown, you know, white allies to be out here supporting birth work. I think it's super important. So I'm here for you. If you can afford to make a donation to Kumba Links, cool. If you can't, I still, I got you. So on my personal page, Jada Antmouth, you can find out information about the doula work that I do. And then Tooth Gems by Jada, that's where I just get free and have fun and make light of this walk because we're only here a short time and we all need a little bit of reason to smile. Mm. I never thought of birth work as mentorship, but absolutely. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. You really yeah. landed the, the landed the level. plane there. Here we go. Uh, we're at Ergo Radio. I'm at Ergo Kiss. I'm at Damon underscore AF. And we will be continuing our mentorship suite uh, next week here. Thank you again, Justin, for chopping it up with us. Peace, yeah. Much love to the people. Peace. <laughs>